now more than ever, people need to go within and plug into that cellular memory, plug into divine source, detach as much as possible from the matrix. Hello again, everybody. This is James Bartley, and you're watching and listening to the Cosmic Switchboard Show. Today, our very special guest is Gene Eisenhower, the author of Rattlesnake Fire. And Gene has had a lot of experiences. She's run through the gamut of different types of anomalous experiences and anomalous trauma. And a little backstory of how Gene and I met. Some of you may have watched the video of the lecture I gave in Roswell, New Mexico, 2007. Well, my angel at that particular conference was Gene Eisenhower. We just met. I was going through a, another spate of very bad asthma, and I could barely walk 10 meters without erupting into a coughing fit. And I didn't even know how I was going to make it through my lecture, right? Fortunately, I met Gene, and, and, and she and I talked, and she had a very calming, soothing influence on me. And... She also helped me with my lecture, because if you notice in my lecture, when I look down periodically, I'm looking down at Gene holding up a flashcard telling me how much time I've got left. So Gene helped me through that lecture, and then we had some great conversations um, after my lecture. So without any further ado, Gene Eisenhower, welcome to the Cosmic Switchboard Show. Yeah, thank you for having me, James. It was really nice meeting you that day. It was. And uh, tell us about the subtitle of, of your book, too, because it, it factors in to some of the stuff you're going to be talking about today. Right. The um, subtitle is A Memoir of Extra-Dimensional Experience. It was the closest thing I could come up with to tie all of this mystery together. A lot of mind control, alien and UFO experiences, and I was a mystic as a child. I'm realizing now that I had a shamanic view of the world as a child, but I was convinced to put a lid on it, shut it away, and forget about it for most of my life. I'm going through portals at nighttime. I thought I was visiting my other family, but I never remembered anything that happened over there, but it was always happening. Well, please, to take us through that process, uh, you know, starting from your childhood, however far you want to go back. Well, I thought that I had a normal childhood, but it really was not at all. I realized that I was a mind control subject as a child. I didn't realize this until I was um, almost 50. But I was a mind control subject as a child. I could talk a lot about all the evidence that I have, things like government officials in our lives and things like that. And um, mysterious amnesia for two years. It just happened to perfectly coincide with the two years that other mind control subjects talk about having their two years of amnesia. That is generally between the ages of six and eight. And um, and I have memories of preschool. I have memories all the way back to 14 months old. I can draw the floor plan of the house we lived in when I was we moved away from when I was 14 months. So memories way back, preschool, kindergarten, and then suddenly total blank don't know anything about first or second grade and then my life is back in third grade and that's when the government officials were in our lives anyway um so i don't know how i was used as a mind control subject and but i have hints about it there's there's some hints that indicate that i was probably used for sexual service and for spying and one time i even had a 
mind-blowing experience of going into a mode, it seemed like somebody else dropped in to my body and she knew exactly how to kill somebody who was throwing himself against our door and trying to break into the apartment. And I was, and this thought is that, oh good, I haven't done this in a long time and I am so ready. And I'm, I'm bouncing a knife in my right hand, feeling its weight, getting the perfect grip on this knife while I'm listening to the door and I'm anticipating where he, the man's gonna fall in when he busts through the door. And I know exactly where I wanna put this knife and the angle, you know, under the ribs and up into the heart. And I'm just ready to do it. And I have never had any training in anything like this. Um, another time I was just running down the street trying to get into jogging and I, I tripped, stubbed my toe and I did the most beautiful tuck and roll and came up on my feet running and I never even had a mark on my body. I'm looking around to see who might have seen me do that because I was so shocked. So it seems like I've had some training that I have no idea how or when I got it. Um, so life, and then I've had weird events of amnesia. Like I forgot I had a baby one time and somebody's asking me where my baby is and I'm looking at her thinking, how could she be mistaking me? You know, we've known each other for years. How is she mistaking me as someone who has a baby? I had a baby, but it took me a while to remember it. So things like that just would happen and they would freak me out, but there was nobody to talk to about it. So I just shoved it away into this, what I call the anomaly file that I would never look at, never think about if I didn't have to, and just went on with my life. And, um, I didn't realize until 93, so I'm 41 years old, that there was something really wrong with me. Um, I mean, I knew that there was, but I was also highly functional in a lot of ways, so no one wanted to say that there's something wrong with me because I scored a genius levels on all sorts of tests, and I performed jobs that people thought were impossible, you know, like putting on conferences in super short periods of time, and and everything went off perfectly so um people didn't know what to make of me i didn't know what to make of me but i w was such a workaholic i was always too busy to sit and reflect on my life so i didn't know but in 93 i had a, a breakdown my son got cancer and my second husband who was my handler was so horrible to me I just told him I'm leaving you and I did um, but you know having a son with cancer and having to move and having to divorce and having to do all these things at once and I'm working full-time um, it was it was um, I had a breakdown and that was good you know in my book I said I highly recommend them because I was able to finally reflect and say what is going on with me and I started paying more attention to my dreams and, and I started getting senses of things and one day I forget what it was I'll remember later but something caused me to realize that I am a multiple personality and that's the foundation on which mind control is built so I only knew I was a multiple personality. I went to the medical library and spent a day reading 
everything there. And there's not much on multiple personality in medical libraries. So I could cover all the literature in a day. But when I left at the end of the day, I felt really hopeful that, um, that now I know, now I can figure out how to heal. But mind control subjects really, there's nobody saying that mind control is easy to heal. But at least I felt better for a while. Um, I went eight years. During this time, I helped my son heal from his cancer and got the kids both out on their own. They were, you know, teenagers turning into young adults. And so we went through that transition. And then I moved out to the country to be a hermit. And I just thought, I'm going to stay here the rest of my life. I feel like too, too crippled of a human being. Um, and I, and I just, the city just made me extremely anxious. So living in the country, out in nature, things started happening. I got back in touch with spirit and um, I did a lot of healing and, um, and started developing spiritual skills that I had been talked into, you know, as a child, I had been convinced to leave it alone, don't go there. But I, I opened up, I, I had a, a friend say, you're going through a shamanic experience, Jean. And shamanic initiation. So that sounded right to me. At first, I was embarrassed. It was like, no, not little old me. But I eventually accepted that this is probably our human birthright to live in multiple dimensions and to have relations with spirit, regardless of the fact that my family was so unhappy about it as a child. And, and I think our entire culture is just uncomfortable with it because of um yeah just because of the culture we're uncomfortable with it but i was able to embrace it by living out alone in nature and it was a very healing time and um i got in touch with the spirit help and started doing a lot of healing and um eventually things started turning really dark it's like spirit not everything that comes over the transom, somebody said, is good spirit. Just because it's spiritual doesn't mean uh, it's associated with angelic or, you know, positive things. It can also be dark. You know, Satanism is a spiritual practice. So I, I did not have a teacher. And they always say, don't go into a initiation alone so I went searching for shamanic teachers and I did have some of them but I swear the one that I got I think was another person in mind control who was just ready to um to capture those of us who might be trying to heal themselves so that was a very weird experience to work with a teacher who seemed dark and um so I kind of got scared and then more and more strange things were happening and um I allowed a man to come live with me on the land, and he seemed to be my helper, but then later on, I started wondering whether he was a multiple personality and might also be a mind control subject who didn't know he was. Um, and I asked him to leave, but I had no way to support myself, and I suddenly felt that I was supposed to sell my beautiful 20 acres with a house on it, which I still regret selling, and to just take the money and run. But you can't run from these people. If they're harassing you in one house, they're gonna harass you in the next house. So I never should have sold my hermitage, but I did. And I moved to the city. And the whole time I was in my hermitage, I had 
a lot of alien and UFO experiences. We can talk about them, but just to give the overall summary to start, a lot of experiences, and as soon as I moved to a small town, they ended. Just never happened again. But now, all the weird stuff has a totally different quality to it. So my assumption is that the people who were running my, my program, whatever they do, I know that they're monitoring me, and I know that they want to update their programming if they're still using me, and they might still be using me, but I don't know that. Um, sometimes I think that they don't need to use me physically, that they might actually sometimes, somehow, I don't know if they use satellites, cell towers, I, I'm, I'm not making any assumptions. I'm just telling you exactly what my experience is, and I'm assuming nothing. Just because somebody else says it, I'm not going to assume. Um, for me, I was, um, oh dear, I forget where I was gonna go, and my brain does glitch like this frequently. Um, can you t remind me where I was going? <laughs> um, yeah, you were talking about the, um you weren't really sure of the the modality or, or the, the oh, of mind control. I was going to talk about who was who was handling me. I believe that because I was near Fort Huachuca in my hermitage, I believe Fort Huachuca was in charge. Oh, and I'm talking about what are they doing? You know, just monitoring, managing, taking care of my health, upgrading programs, and then reinforcing programs because they do have to do a regular reinforcement. And so I think that this was being handled by people at Fort Huachuca. Fort Huachuca is in southern Arizona, and it is known as the number one intelligence center in the United States. And if it is involved with any alien races, they're probably at Fort Huachuca. And I had two friends who don't know each other both come to tell me that they had had experiences with reptilians on that base. So um, after they had read my book. So um, when I moved to the small town, it was a across the state line, it was in another city, and there, I think they just turned over all my handling to a group of doctors, because at that point, all the alien stuff just went away, and I'm no longer having my house buzzed by jets, and it just completely changes. Now, I wake up in the morning, and I've got scars on my body, and, um, and everything just has a medical flavor to it. So... Um, I don't know if I said this before, and I know I meant to, but I think I skipped over it at, at a little glitch. Um, the time that I left my second husband, I believe I then went on a targeted individual list. It may or may not be different from mind control, but I think that there's a, you know, certain programs that are run for mind control and other programs that are run for targeting. And um, so everything in my life felt like it was being sabotaged just constantly as soon as I left my second husband. Um, so I moved to this new town, and um, and now it all seems doctors involved. And I, but I did write my book, and I started blogging about it. And somebody, and then one day, you know, my blogs, which have really modest readership, suddenly they were over a thousand. And I traced it down, and I found out that somebody had copied one of my blogs and put a headline on it, Gene Eisenhower is a targeted individual. And I went, I never heard that phrase before, but boy, that does sound like what I've been experiencing for the last while. And um, 
And so I read all about targeting, targeted individuals, and it was so upsetting to me. I just didn't want to believe it. And I closed the page on that, and I didn't think about it for years until um, I fled that house, too. I felt like I was being terrorized, and I could not stay in my home any longer. I sold it, and I left, and I got into a trailer. I figured if I'm going to be a target, I might as well be a moving target. And, um, and I started documenting a third type of harassment now. So before it had all seemed pretty military and alien, and then it turned into doctors. And then when I'm on the road, I'm sure that they had a challenge. Now, how do we, I, I have a suspicion that they have figured out how to, they, they probably just have a new program for dealing with people who are on the run. And so, um, I've become one of those, and the targeting now is really random. Like, whatever town I go to, it depends on who is in their network, who's near where I am. And if that person, maybe a, a head person in that little town, happens to be a doctor, then it will have doctor sorts of flavor to it. And if I'm somewhere else, who knows? Quite a few times, I have found myself <clears throat> drawn toward a group and I wake up some morning and I am completely messed up. I can barely feed myself. And then later on, I'll, I might find a scar on my body or a taser burn or something. And then I suddenly see the signs that I completely ignored. These people are Satanists. And last night was a full moon and everyone's acting weird to me today. And I got sucked into a Satanic group. And I leave there just shocked as can be. And then the next year I do it again. Somebody else sucks me in. I think these are really wonderful people. They're talking my language. And then I wake up one morning. I'm all messed up. Realize the full moon was last night. And I remember some things they were doing and saying. And I just realized I got sucked in again. So the targeting changes depending on where I go. Hopefully... I want to believe I'm getting wiser about it, and um, I'm not as easily manipulable, but I don't know, but I'm doing my best, and somehow I'm keeping hopeful that all of this is teaching me things about our world, which includes the spiritual world, and that even though I'm not ready to say I know a whole lot, and I can tell you anything with total certainty, I still have this feeling that it's all coming together and I'm, it's a useful set of lessons that I'm learning. You went through a phase uh, telling your story in your book uh, where you became an environmental activist. Uh, around what time frame was that and, and how did that yeah. play out? Okay, in 19... 86, I had just started a business doing community relations consulting for nonprofits. So I was working for domestic violence organizations, our local community radio, uh, food co-op, homeless shelters, people like that, doing their conferences, their workshops, their press releases, all that. Because um, I work better alone. <laughs> it's so good I don't have to work in an office. So I just set up this business. And my husband, my handler, my second husband, who was my handler, comes home one day and he's just seen um, 
Dave Foreman speak. He is one of the leaders of Earth First, which are the people who would sit in trees to stop logging projects. And some people would do worse things like burn bulldozers and stuff. But mostly we did legal lawsuits and street theater, whatever would, would try to educate the public. And if everything failed, oh, if everything failed that was legal, you know, lawsuits and, um, and appeals and all that, then people would choose to do illegal things like tree spiking and stuff. But the Tucson group where I was was really pretty conservative. I mean, a lot of the radicals were up in the Northwest and we would cheer them on, but we didn't do that. Um, we, were, we, were, we were still working within the law because there was possibility there. So it wasn't a really crazy thing for this shy, really mainstream looking woman to be part of Earth First. If you were in Tucson, it wasn't too crazy. So I was enjoying it. I knew I was like the most conservative person in this, or conservative looking and acting person in this kind of radical group, but I thought they were on the righteous side and I wanted to help. So I started doing more and more work for Earth First and less and less for paying clients. And, um, and I worked with them for quite a few years. And one time I just went to be a, a quote-unquote presence on the mountain. But the guy that I was up there with, who was a friend of my husband and I, he suddenly surprised me by running down to this uh, road grader, stopping the road grader, and then climbing underneath, and he hooked his neck to the axle. And I told the driver that's what he was doing because he had just told me like one minute earlier what to say. So I did that. And then he handed me a bike lock and asked me if I wanted to lock on too. And I had like one minute before they were coming back probably to arrest. And I decided to do it. So here I was intending just to be the PR person for this um, radical group. And then I ended up doing something and getting arrested myself. We spent the whole day in the road and, um, and stopped progress for a while and we got some really good press out of it but nothing that anybody ever saved i have no record of it except for my my police report and the, the, the trial um but that okay that was all i did with earth first and then a couple things happened five of our friends were all arrested and were facing prison and three of them did go to prison and or four and then the next year judy berry was bombed and she had been getting death threats and somebody put a car bomb in her car and it blew up through the bottom of her seat and injured her gruesomely. Her friend in the passenger seat was deafened temporarily and, um, and they were both arrested while in the hospital. And Judy woke up to find cops standing on either side of her bed. And she was quite sure that it was the FBI who had, who had planted the bomb. Anyway, it was a terrible experience. It took 12 years to get to court. But at the time it first happened, like 16 people were called to a grand jury. And we were really afraid. And um, I and I had just made Judy Berry my, my model. I knew that I was, I mean, I was a PR person, but I was really standard. 
Judy Berry was a PR person who just broke all the rules. She was planning at that time of the bombing, she was planning to host activists from around the world for an event they were calling Redwood Summer, which was modeled on Mississippi Summer, which was the big event that really catalyzed the civil rights movement. She wanted to do the same thing for saving the Redwoods. We're down to having the last 3% of the Redwoods were still standing and they were cutting 24 seven. They were cutting under stadium lights at nighttime 24 seven so that they could um, log as much as possible before a referendum went to court. And so I really honored Judy for her huge vision. And also I had teenagers and life was just getting really complicated. And suddenly, I just didn't want to have a business anymore. I just felt like I couldn't take any of it. I had just made Judy my model, my role model. I'm going to watch her for the next couple years. I thought I'd back out of activism, just watch Judy, take care of my kids, be a better mom than I had been. And then when the kids were gone, I'd come back into activism and I'd be a better activist because I'd been educating myself for two years by watching Judy. And then Judy is bombed. And I thought that because we're not doing anything serious ourselves, we're only educating. I never thought that we would be targeted. And now Judy was very clearly targeted in a deadly way. She should have died. The only reason why she didn't die was that the bomb blew one end cap out and it totally ballooned out the driver's side door. If it hadn't blown off the cap, then she and Daryl probably would have both died. So I was terrified. I, every single day, I could not deal with my stress and I just didn't want to do anything. So I closed my business and I just got a job. And um, I feel like I was traumatized by Judy's bombing for a very long time. And, um, I was just done with activism. I told people, I'll be an activist on the other realms. I don't even know what I'm talking about. I don't know what that means, but I feel like I've been getting this message. Turn your activism in other directions. And um, being an activist on the other realms was kind of like the phrase that I would say. And I admit, I'm not sure what I'm talking about. But so anyway, I just quit. And I tried to have a job, but then sure, within six months, my son had cancer. And that catalyzed my husband and I realizing that, you know, we've been talking about divorce for years. We're going to do it. I had to move. And I, um, and activism was the last thing on my mind. Pure survival was it. And then 12 years later, I mean, Judy and Daryl, Judy ended up dying after seven years of breast cancer. Daryl continued on the fight because they wanted to take the FBI to court. They finally did. Judy's estate and Daryl took the FBI to court in 2012, and they had a PR person lined up who sabotaged them. And at the last minute, Daryl realized this woman is doing everything to compromise this. So he called me up and asked me if I would come out and be the PR person, and I said, yeah. Um, I had actually had a spiritual experience just a week before in which Judy had come and said to me, you're not the bad activist that you think you are. As a matter of fact, 
you have some skills that I didn't have and my lack of skills might have been what got me bombed but don't discount yourself and then she was gone and um, it was interesting I've often had spirit help come talk to me when I'm in between because I'm such a workaholic so I, I finally decided to take a break from my desk and I get up and you know that state that you might be in as you walk to your counter to get a drink of water there's really nothing in your mind <clears throat> judy just like it felt like she crashed into me and i've had others <laughs> i've had other amazing spiritual things in the process of getting up from my desk and going to walk somewhere anyway so when daryl called and said will you come do this judy had just like surprised me the week before and i said sure and i thought i was supposed to do it so i did and i went out to um to oakland and i think i was mind controlled while i was there there was a time when i was downtown just running an errand and suddenly i i knew where i was going i was going to my bank and i'd been there three times and suddenly i'm walking the wrong direction and i have no idea where i am and i had this really crazy thought go through my head wow if anybody was following you meaning if any other activists were following you they would find your behavior suspicious they'd act like they might think that you were meeting with somebody and and i thought what are you coming up with that sort of thought for that's really ridiculous and i just pushed it out of my head but later on when i would learn about mind control i realized i probably was um anyway the the trial was wonderful i spent you know, maybe every other day in court, there were four of us taking shifts. And, um, and what we found out is that the FBI lied about everything. They lied about their own testimony earlier. They're, they contradicted each other. They contradicted the obvious evidence. Um, you know, they said things like, her guitar case was blown to smithereens. It was unrecognizable. But no, there's a picture of an FBI guy on the sidewalk with her guitar case sitting right there, totally recognizable. And they said, yes, but the bomb couldn't have been in the back seat because, well, it had to be in the back seat because her, car, her guitar was damaged beyond recognition. But it wasn't at all. It was under her seat. Um, and also, the car door was ballooned out the driver's side the driver's seat not the back seat so anyway they just lied about everything and in the end the fbi was found guilty on every charge and they were dinged a four million dollar settlement and if it hadn't been for one jury member it would have been a 44 million dollar settlement but it was but even at four million it was historic the fbi's never paid out settlements like that and then that wasn't a settlement it's a judgment so um we won it was wonderful so i take the train back home and i'm sitting down at my computer and some of the first email i get is from a friend saying gene i think i figured out what our stuff is we had shared lots of like weird mysterious stuff about us that we can't figure out and she says i think i found it Think I figured it out so I start clicking on her links and she's taking me to sites about mind control and I knew I'd been sexually abused I knew I was a multiple personality but I had no idea I was a mind control subject but so I'm shocked to read this 
But as soon as I start reading the details, I swear I feel a dozen or more little children jumping around inside and they are freaking out. One part of me that is like more of an adult, she's saying, oh, this is good. This is the information you need to start healing. Meantime, children are going, oh no, oh no, we're gonna get in trouble. Oh, this is terrible. And they are just like, just so agitated. So feeling and listening to all this inner chatter that seems to confirm this, I accepted it because not only do I have these inner children jumping around, but it makes a whole lot of sense. Suddenly, a whole lot of mysteries of my life make perfect sense and are explained. So I accepted it and I was terrified, absolutely terrified. It's like, so they're the ones who are hitting me. Who, well, during the trial, I was being hit by beams for the very first time and going unconscious because of those beams. And, um, and then it was continued. Well, it didn't continue immediately at home. It took a little while, but soon it was happening to me at my home. And I couldn't figure out why they were bothering me. I thought, I'm not an activist anymore. Leave me alone. But now I realize I'm still a mind control subject. And that's why they're not leaving me alone. Is there more about the activist days you wanted to hear about? No, that's, <clears throat> that was pretty enlightening. And it's interesting how it dovetailed with your epiphany, finding out that you were a subject of mind control uh, at the tail end of that. Yeah transition from okay i went through that phase of my life i wanted to be an activist had no idea how deep you get into it and then mm -hmm. you know you escape that ordeal and then you come to the realization that you'd had mind control well when you started and everyone is different when they try to learn more about mind control and what they'd experienced once you read through those websites did you have any flashbacks or any memories uh, from earlier in your life, which were kind of like repressed memories, which started to come back, which gave a little more clarity to what you had been going through? I'm sure I did. And right now I'm having a hard time pulling them up, but um, give me a little time. I know they'll come up. Um, I just feel like I should explain a little bit about my my multiple personality hey let's let's talk about this and i will come back to that but my all my memories are in different file cabinets in my brain and so when i experience something you know who knows which altar it is and right now talking to you is the altar that i crafted to be a social person <laughs> but you know when i work that's a different altar of mine who might be doing the accounting and a different altar doing something else. And, um, and so the social person doesn't have super ready access. I mean, I have access, but it, it's kind of like, I have to go into these invisible byways that I don't even understand very well in order to reach that altar who has that memory and that altar who has that memory. And so I can sometimes be slow and, um, and I'm not slow, I'm just dealing with really disorganized memories. So, um, yeah, so some of the things, oh, let me think. 
flashbacks as opposed to memories that I was already aware of and knew as memories. Um, but one of my flashbacks that I had was the first week of my birth. I was young enough that, well, okay, let me, my son had just been diagnosed with cancer and he was in chemotherapy and we had finally moved into our own apartment. We were out and I came home from work one day, the kids weren't home from school and I had talked to my counselor about talking to my inner children. And this is even before I knew I was a multiple personality, but he'd, he'd give me this idea of inner children. So I said, are there any inner children who have anything you need to say to me? And I just immediately had this, this flash that I was a baby and that I was on my back and my diaper was removed and suddenly I'm feeling some poking and prodding and then I'm feeling some pain and I'm jumping and I'm so young I can't roll over, I can't do anything. And then I leave my body. The pain became so bad that I left my body and I looked down. And I, my body was on the top of a pedestal, not much bigger than my body. Just a little pedestal thing made for a baby to lie on. And it seemed like the whole room was white, but there were just a, three or four men who were there. And my mother was against the wall but she had slid down and was on the floor with her hand over her mouth and she looked like she was trying to stop from gagging and she was horrified and her eyes were just really showing horror. And then I came back to my body and I was just so blown away that something had been done to me in a ritual setting. It was not a doctor's setting, it was a ritual setting. And my mother was a Jack Mormon, but she used to always make me go to the Mormon church, even though she didn't go, but she kept making me go. And I've since read enough about the Mormons to um, realize that they have had a, they have a very deep relationship with the CIA. They are by far the largest denomination in the CIA. And so I believe that they have been subcontracted to lay the foundation for mind control, uh, which they'll then hand over to the CIA when the child is six. So I think I was being cut inside because for the same reason that they circumcise boys, I think they sometimes find some reason to cut little girls. Um, just because a sexual cut is a trauma to your base root chakra, and if you can traumatize the root chakra, you can cause the person to, to leave their body, and then they can implant programming at that time. And so I think the Mormon church is working with the CIA, and my first, that was my first experience of it that I'm really grateful. It came back to me when all I did was say this little prayer. It wasn't even a prayer. It was just... I'm, I need to know, I need to know, and um, can you, you know, inner children, do you have anything to tell me that'll give me a clue what's going on? And that's what I got. Um, I know I've had lots more flashbacks, but they're all in different parts, and I'm going to try to remember them for you. Um, <sighs> whatever you're comfortable with, if, if anything, 
it's troubling or you know brings it's up okay i'm 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 comfortable with it all but it's just a matter of pulling it out oh i have my notes <laughs> i made notes to help me um but i'm not sure that i can even find them oh i'm not finding them um other flashbacks I know I've had them throughout my life and I'm kind of going blank, which makes me feel terrible right now. Guess what? I'm up, I'm up on the, the Mogollon Rim in Arizona. It's really, really beautiful here. And another thing distracting me is there's a couple people that are sunbathing naked over there. <laughs> they just came and got right in front of me. <laughs> They're not, not that close, but still, it just was a distraction. <laughs> um, oh dear, flashbacks. Did you have any memories of, of, of a military aspect or of, of being in a military installation? You mentioned Fort Huachuca. That was more when you were Thank an adult. You. Thank you. Um, I, I, I think I remember when I was first um, taken into mind control in Kirtland. This is what happened. Um, Kirtland, I was six years old, and my parents had three other children younger than me. The youngest was only six months old. And my mom and I took a trip to Albuquerque on the train. Now, why leave my dad home with three children, the youngest one's six? Oh, we, I went to see, we went to see my aunt, is her story. It's like, what? When? The family never takes vacations separate from each other. We always go everywhere together. What's this deal about two of us went to Albuquerque for no other reason than to see an aunt? I don't think so. So I have no memory of coming home. But I do have memory of waking up at home and being thrilled to be home after what felt like a long, long, long time gone. So I now realize that Kirtland Air Force Base is in Albuquerque, and it's one of the places that, um, that they go. So here's one of my flashbacks. I can't remember right now when it came to me, but I was in a almost like a party dress. It was my best clothes. And I'm sitting in a chair, and in front of me is a military man in khaki sitting behind a desk. And then another man comes up from behind me, and he looks back at me, then looks at the man behind the desk and says about me, pretty one. And, and the whole space seemed to be um, an aircraft hangar. It was huge inside, and it had a big opening on one side, and that's all I remember. I have memories of being in a humongous hangar, too. I mean, the ceiling was so high, and, and it was, I just got the impression of huge space on the inside. Uh, so I've had uh -huh. memories of, of being inside of a big hangar as well. Yeah. And then... um. The next year, I remember, I was seven, so I must have been sent home for the summer. The family goes on vacation, and we go to visit my grandmother and my aunt, who had a nine-year-old child, so it was two women and a child. And the two women worked full-time at my grandmother's business. And my parents left me there alone and drove away with the other three kids. And I remember saying, why are you leaving me here? And it's like, oh, we just want you to have time with your aunt and grandmother. And it's like, no, they're working full time. They don't need a seven-year-old added to their household. 
and for how long and when are you coming back? I have no memory of them ever coming back, but that memory of waking up at home and being really, really glad to be home finally. So, you know, those are two trips that made absolutely no sense. And they were at age six and age seven. So I'm pretty sure that uh, I was in some sort of a program and I, oh, I have one more memory um, that came to me again when I had gotten up from my desk and I'm just walking across the room, changing gears. Nothing's in my head in particular. And suddenly I had this sensation of a, but see, I had learned about mind control and I was praying every night, please help me understand what's going on. So I get my answer. Suddenly there's this white flash and I see just a few men, three or four, right in front of me. And one man leans forward and he says one short, simple thing, a second, different, short, simple thing, a third, different, short, simple thing. Real simple words. One, two, three. And then he backs up and another man comes forward and he's putting something on either side of my head. And that's the end of the um, flashback. So I believe that they were using electroshock to shock me out of my body. And then when the brain is now starting to record on a blank slate, essentially starting a new personality, he leans forward. And my suspicion is that he said, your name is something. When you hear me, do what I say. When you're done, go away. Something like that. I'm just guessing, but it would make a whole lot of sense that that would lay the foundation. And then since then, I've read a little bit of Fritz Springmeier, who talks about how they can create hundreds of altars. Really, really just bam, 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 bam. Um, just add them all up, stack them on top of each other and programs lead to other programs and they build software inside your head that way. And so I'm thinking that that was one of them and it was done with electroshock. And um, I do have heart problems. I've always had heart problems. And, um, and I think that their electroshock is, is the cause of that. I, w I had heart problems as a child. I was the, there were 90 girls in our fifth grade and I was the slowest one at track and field. <laughs> and you know I've always eaten healthy and I'm pretty healthy now I've taken you know a thousand mile bike rides and and, um, and I can get my strength I have to work I have to build up my strength slowly but I'm having to um, work against I think a bad heart and um, my heart's being monitored all the time In the time we got left in this first segment, and thank you for sharing all that. I really appreciate it. In the second segment, I'd like you to delve into more of your ET experiences. And you also told me years ago about this experience where like a reptilian was coming through and was telling you things. I remember that was a fascinating Yeah. Um, yeah. That we had way back when. Do we have time for that right now? Or should we save it for the next... Um, well, yeah, just, just if you can give the background and, and tell the story right now, that'd be fine. Okay. And I've had a few experiences with reptilians, and I think some of them are the good guys and some of 
bad guys. And for a little while I was, or I thought that people were calling the good ones reptoids and they were calling the bad ones reptilians or dracos. I don't know if that's the nomenclature that you use or you're comfortable with, but whatever. Um, one evening I was sitting by my fireplace. This is out in my hermit, in my hermitage. And I um, never watched television, never listened to the radio. I was out there without electricity. I was having an experience. It was like me and nature. And um, so I'm just in the evening, probably reading in front of the fire. And suddenly I, I was having these weird experiences. Like I would feel like this energy is pouring into me. And I called it the Hulk routine. It felt like it was pulling in me and it was filling up all my cells and stretching them. It felt good, it felt energizing. And, <clears throat> and I would just have to wait till it finished its thing. And then, and I had this man living with me for a while and, and I'd look at him and I'd just kind of like lift up my arms and kind of like make fun of myself because I couldn't stop this thing. It would just like come in and I called it the Hulk routine. And one day, the Hulk routine came on again. I never knew what it meant. I wasn't ever resisting it because I wasn't afraid of it. Um, but it finally, for the first time, something else was sensed when it was over. So all this energy pours through, and suddenly I'm feeling like an, another being has come in and it's looking through my left eye. And he looks at the hearth that we set the cast iron fireplace on and and i always loved this hearth a bunch of us had gone down to the creek we would gathered stones and we would mixed up stones in with the brick and had done this gorgeous job and it just pleased me every single time i looked at it and i probably had said things about it or maybe he just reads my mind i don't know but he looks at the hearth and he has this huh, i don't think that's anything so special and I totally felt like that's somebody else. That's not me talking. And I clearly felt he was associated with, with my left eye. And it scared me really, really badly. And I said quietly to him, who are you? And he didn't tell me who he was. And I heard from other people who were more engaged with their spiritual life. I'm kind of passive. I wait for things to come to me. And but other more engaged people have mentioned things, so I it, it occurred to me that I should ask, ask him his name. Never thought of that before, but I asked his name and he didn't answer me. He just said, "You need me," and I was like, "Dang, he's not answering. That must mean he's a bad guy." But he doesn't feel like a bad guy, and suddenly it's like he projects his features outside in front of me, about five feet away. And he looks sort of like the Geico gecko. I mean, he just had this really non-threatening look, something like that. And he's even kind of like squatting down, making himself look small. And he's below me. And it's like, you need me. And he's looking so innocent and, and nice, but I know it could be a Trojan horse. But I didn't know how to kick him out. And I happened at the very time to be being distracted by my boyfriend, my land partner. And he was bothering me and distracting me while I'm trying to have this conversation with this being. And so 
between him and my own naivete, I just didn't know how to finish this up. I asked him a question. He refused to answer. He tells me I need him. And I just said, well, I don't know. I'm going to think about this, and I might be asking you to leave. I don't know. And I never, ever, ever sensed him giving me ever. He might have been, but I don't know. But many years later, I, um, I was thinking about that incident. You know, I never felt good about the incident. It was like, oh, I, I'm such a spiritual novice and stupid. Ugh, I should have handled that better. And now here it is, I don't know how many years later, and I think I should tell this thing to leave. Like, I think I first was like, are you going to talk to me? Are you going to tell me anything? And it was just like silence. And then I, I had started using shamanic tools. So I had rattles. And I started doing a ritual just to kind of like call in my help and ask for help getting rid of this guy. Well, my shamanic skills were never really developed very well. I probably should never have even tried to use shamanic skills or techniques without having been well trained. So I, um, but I did, I still tried, and I had the biggest shock of my life. Instead of feeling something leave, which is what I thought on the good side I'd feel, or feeling nothing, which was what I was kind of half expecting, instead, I felt what felt like a line of claws on the left side of my body, on my shoulder, and up, here and these claws just suddenly just grabbed in, scared the daylights out of me. And I didn't want to give in, I didn't want to back off, but I was afraid to move forward with this. It's like if, if he's gonna like let me feel claws when I just ask one time, how intense is this gonna get if I try to, you know, really exercise? some power I just got scared and I backed off and I said I'm gonna be trying to figure out what to do with you you do not have permission to stay and I'll deal with you later and that was all I did and um, so I do feel like something came in and I have since heard that reptilians use your left side and so I think I have a reptilian entity inside me but it could be a reptoid, but I think it's a reptilian. I don't know, um, but it was very frightening. And then I had a few other reptilian experiences. If we have time, we'll talk about them next. Yeah, we can uh, probably save that for the next segment. Uh, I'm, I'm really interested in hearing that. Uh, if our listeners and viewers uh, would like to contact you, is there a way they can do so? And um, do, do you have a website you can share? Yeah, my website is Paradigm Salon, that's P-A-R-A-D-I-G-M, Salon, S-A-L-O-N, dot net. And my book is at rattlesnakefire.com. Okay, and then I also have my, my personal site, geneisenhower.com, where you can see my professional um, accomplishments and art accomplishments and all. Well, we've had a fascinating uh, first segment, and thank you for sharing all that, Jean. 
to our dear listeners out there, if you like what we do, if you believe in what we do, please go to the cosmic switchboard.com, sign up and become a member, and we'll see you at the top of the next segment.